we're back with another Q&A episode with the Red Dot Fitness crew, and we're taking questions from the audience. We love all the questions, and we appreciate you guys asking. If you'd like to hear your question asked and answered here on the show, well, it's easy. Just reach out to us. You can hit us at Red Dot Fitness on Instagram or email us, info at red.fitness.net. That's info at red.fitness.net. By now, you likely know that human growth hormone, or HGH, is a key component to things like performance, metabolism, and workout recovery. What you probably don't know is that before the body ever uses HGH, it has to be converted into what are called growth factors. These growth factors made by HGH are cellular signals that are sent into your blood to signal the cells to work on things like building muscle, burning fat, production and upregulation of certain hormones while downregulating others, and speeding up the healing process. So, by adding back in growth factors, you can tell your body to do the same thing that HGH does. This is why I use and stand by BioPro Plus. BioPro Plus is a genetically activated formula of pure, non-synthetic growth factors I take every morning so I get the same benefits of HGH without the need for annoying doctor's appointments, prescriptions, or needles. What this has meant for me is that I get a natural and legal alternative to boosting my fitness, recovery, and performance without the weird shit that comes along with the black market or those annoying doctor's appointments. So listen, what I've learned over time is that there's a huge difference between using BioPro daily and taking time off. I recently experimented with a two-week break from my daily BioPro routine, and I have to tell you, I will never do that again. The difference was palpable and visible not only to me, but to those who know me best. I recommend BioPro to any male over 30 who wants to look, feel, and perform better in the gym, on the mat, in the bedroom, and the game of life. And if you really want to party, you should also check out their sleep formula. I take it nightly, and it's been a total game changer for me. It can help you sleep deeper and ultimately leverage the benefits of your morning dose of BioPro alongside all your hard work in the gym. So to find out more, check out bioproteintech.com and follow them at bioproteintech. Then use the code IRONSIGHTS. That's IRONSIGHTS, just like the podcast, to save at checkout. Welcome to IRONSIGHTS. This podcast candidly seeks to create opportunities and deliver impact by sharing the experiences and wisdom of successful entrepreneurs and thought leaders who unapologetically aim to win in health, fitness, business, and life. I'm your host, Scott Howell. Welcome to Old School Meets New School. Tradition meets innovation, and imperfection meets excellence. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. All right, back in the studio for another Q&A. I love these Q&As. Yay. Yeah, part of it is, uh, like, I'm always very impressed with the level of questioning that comes through when people reach out to us. Like, hey, could you answer this question? It's not just like, what's the best exercise to grow my biceps? Um, I don't know, Google that shit. There's a million of them. It's never about the exercise. And I think, you know, the people that listen to the show, which I really appreciate, are ones that are like, no, I get that part. So there's nuance to everything. And you guys handle nuance here at Red Dot, or we handle nuance here at Red Dot Fitness all the time. And I think you either appreciate it or you don't. Uh, but what I just want to publicly acknowledge is how much I appreciate that the listeners and the people that send these questions in appreciate the nuance, right? And they yeah. want to know about that stuff because that just shows, I think, a higher level of thinking. Um, it inspires me, it restores faith in humanity and that people really do care about uh, important things and they want to know more, they want to be educated. And while we're not sitting up here is uh, the end all be all to any of this stuff. Uh, anytime we can kind of fill in the gaps for people and they, you know, and, and then they can take something away from it and apply it. 
to that smarter approach that are on health and fitness, uh, I get fired up about it. So let's, uh, let's get started with the questions. How can I effectively incorporate periodization into my training program to avoid plateaus? Great. This is a question that I think more people should be asking. So again, I really appreciate this question. How do I incorporate it? Uh, I think first off, we talk about why it doesn't get incorporated first. Um, and then we can kind of talk about, well, let's talk, let's start with like, what is periodization? How do we want to handle that sort of at a high level? So periodization is me taking my workout routine through a different peaks and valleys, whether that is being most of the time it's reps, right? I'm going from reps to intensity. I'm switching off. So as I get to a higher rep count, I'm at lower intensity, a lower rep count being one to five, I'm at a higher intensity, right? Um, and what I do is I'm able to, whether the person sports specific, I'm able to dial this in through peaks and valleys to have them peak or do what they want to do at the right time. So whether that's a bodybuilder trying to cut for a show, an athlete trying to perform for a sport, right? We're able to dial these things in, whether it's off season, in season to have them perform or achieve whatever they want to do at that time. And as we know, the body starts to become resistant to a lot of this. So we look at three to six weeks and that's where we start cycling. And that's where we use the science and us as coaches to see what's coming back from the athlete to when to switch and when to keep going. Those variables. Yeah. So I guess I think of periodization as more of like um, a calendar of of programming what I'm doing when based on frequency, intensity, loads, and time as far as rest periods and those types of things and scheduling it out over, let's just say, I mean, if you want to periodize, you can periodize over a year, like a macro cycle, and then get down into what we would consider mesocycles. So maybe looking at it quarterly or monthly or two months at a time. And then at a micro level, that would be, let's say, a week at a time. What are you doing week one, week two, week three? And let's say you incorporate uh, one to four weeks uh, as part of a, or not even one to four, let's say um, one to six or eight weeks as part of your mesocycle. And you have multiple mesocycles in a, in a macro cycle. And again, thinking about the macro as being, let's just say, for an example, a calendar year. I think it's a great yes. way of looking at it. Yep. That's the, that's the uh, 30,000 foot view. And mm -hmm. I think uh, Jeff kind of zoomed in right in on like the micro cycle stuff at like the, the 5,000 foot view. The basic exerciser kind of loses track is, is this. If I asked probably, let's just say I had 10 people standing there. And th these are folks that are exercise on a regular basis, right? And they have a pretty good understanding of what they should be doing in the gym uh, with regard to like exercise selection, sure. intensity, what loads they should be using, you know, the difference between a squat and a deadlift, you know, and they're, they're let's just say they're, they're fairly confident. If I ask them how much foresight they had into their workout program, and I started with say like, how many people show of hands know what they're going to be doing in their workout program in four weeks? I bet the amount of hands I would see would probably be one or less. If I asked somebody how many or, or how many of them had foresight in the workout in the next one week, I might see a couple of hands. But if I asked them specifics about what that was, I think, you know, like, well, what is that going to look like specific to the workout routine? Well, I don't know. I just do a, like an upper lower type of thing. I bet I would see a couple of hands. But if I ask like how many people know what they're doing in the, in the gym tomorrow, they would know. Right. So my point is, is like, 
They know what to do. They know how to do it. They don't necessarily know or pay too close attention to how to do those things over a longer period of time. And they miss, they miss a, a lot of marks there. So those variables that you were mentioning, they know what those are and they know how to adjust them sort of in, in like in real time, but they don't necessarily know what they're doing with them long-term. Yeah, long-term. So, you know, the other thing I think about with periodization is, do you have a goal? Because that goal will help to set a marker that you want to achieve. And then you work backwards from that marker or that goal and how you create your your program or your periodized plan of how you're going to achieve that. So, you know, we've talked about in the past, if we're going on a vacation, let's say uh, in... I don't know, spring break of next year, because we're sitting here in the month of October. And let's say spring break is mid-April. Then we have however many months between now and April to hit that marker. And then we would plan out what our workouts would be. The first thing you said there was, you got to have a goal. Mm -hmm. What is the goal? If my goal is just to get to the gym and work out every day, then that's, okay, that's a very broad goal. That's not really a goal to me. That is a commitment, right? So we got to look at like, what is the goal? Am I trying to perform? That's where you started, Jeff. Like, do I have an event I'm trying to perform at that I need a peak for, you know, it could be anything from triathlon to a season as a baseball player or a tennis player or something like that. What kind of condition do I need to be in at this particular point? And I think, you know, again, people listening to this going, yeah, but I'm not an athlete. Like this doesn't really apply to me. Yeah, it can though, because at what points during the year do you want to be in your peak shape or aesthetic uh, shape, mm -hmm. if you will? Like, again, I think people can relate to that. Well, I'm going on vacation or, you know, the summer time comes around and I want to be as tight as I possibly can or as lean as I possibly can. This is periodization. It's sure. planning. So really what periodization is going back to what you're saying is, is you have a goal, right? And you're trying to make adaptations in order to meet this goal. And everything that you do is about a stress that you put on the body, right? In this, in this context, the stress that you put on your body and the adaptation that you're able to achieve throughout that within that stress or within those stressors. And then that's also taking into account all the other stressors outside of the exercise yes. that you're doing, that how, how that could impact that. So that goes into the periodization. So I think first is having a goal. And secondly, understanding that these, th that if you're doing the same thing all the time, your body will adapt to that and it won't want to continue to change. That's what I think you were alluding to there, Jeff, a few minutes ago, which is we know that in a certain period of time, your body starts to slow down its adaptation to this because it needs time to recover in order to then maximize that stimulus or that dose that you're giving it of exercise, whether it's a load, whether it's intensity, whatever else, in order to get stronger, get bigger, yep. get faster. It, it's never linear. You were talking about the peaks and the valleys. Yep. So your periodization is a way to manage the peaks and valleys yes. to get to your goal as effectively and efficiently as you can by giving it these of these minimal doses that of exercise or rest time or things, or let's just say just the right dose in order to maximize the result. So the question is, is how do I do that effectively? It's having a goal. Like you have to have a goal that you can, you know, you can put a pin in the paper on and go, this is where I'm trying to get to. Can that goal shift? 100%. And you should expect it to at times, like, cause you may achieve your goal way ahead of schedule and go, 
I didn't even think that was possible. And now you're like, what do I do next? It could be like, oh, maybe I've set a little bit of an unachievable goal, um, but in this particular time frame, so I need to dial this back a little bit and choose something that makes a little bit more practical sense for me, right? Uh, that I can apply these basic principles to and get to. And then once we get there, reevaluate, what should my goal be now? So that's having some awareness is a big part of periodization and setting those goals. How, how, could, I, how could I do this? Well, the first thing is, is I think, wrapping your head around thinking into the future. And that, that sort of that example I brought up, uh, for those people that are listening, if just ask yourself this question, if Scott asked me right now, what my, my workouts are going to look like in a month, what would I tell him? You should like, if you're really periodizing your program, you should be able to tell me exactly what it's, what the framework looks like. Yeah. I'm transitioning it, out of this phase into this phase. What, you should be able to tell me this is where I plan to be with, yep. a, with regard to my exercise selection, my reps and sets. Now, obviously, just like I said, those things can change as you, as you go. You should expect there's, again, you're going to achieve and not achieve some adaptation and some, some respect. But if you're truly periodizing, you should be able to look at that. <laughs> if a client asks me, what, what is my, what does the program that you have put together for me look like in a month? I should be able to tell them that. Obviously, there needs to be room for flexibility because these adaptations happen, but that is coaching. That's why I'm continually checking in and we're continually twisting, twisting dials and toggling switches. That's the, <laughs> that's the concept of individuality. How do you do it? Set that goal. Secondly, understand what the basic variables are that it takes in order to achieve that goal. And without getting too deep into the weeds, we talk about this on the, on the show a lot. Like, is, is my goal... Where does it fit into this triangle of awareness? Yeah. Is this an aesthetic goal? Is this a performance goal? Or is this more of a longevity, health, you know, healthy lifestyle type of goal? What are most people trying to do? Oh, we always hear this. I just want to, I just want to tone up, right? Well, what you're telling me is, is you want to put on some muscle, right? And yeah. you want to be able to see the muscle yeah. that you're putting on. So body fat, you're right? talking about a little hypertrophy plus a little bit of metabolic. And so for what you just said, I want everyone to understand there's a building phase and there was a cutting phase for that. Right. He needed to build muscle and he needed to cut fat to see that. And it didn't happen in the three point. to six months. Yeah, the, it the, happened in, in these periods. Exactly. So this is what we're talking about. So what are we doing now to achieve this very specific goal where I need to put on some muscle? Well, that, that putting on that muscle should be irrespective of losing body fat. Exactly. It may be a byproduct of what we're doing. So this is what I mean about wrapping your head ar mm -hmm. around things. So how, again, the, the question being, how do I do it? The way to do it, if you've never done this before, is likely to get yourself into some type of a program that is periodized already. Mm -hmm. For you as the general exercise enthusiast or user to know all the things that you should be doing, uh, on top of trying to have a life, a job, and get your workouts done and everything else, look, seek some help. Seek some professional yeah. help. Seek somebody that knows how this, this may or may, this, this should be organized for you. That's going to start with understanding who you are, right? Your health history, your exercise history, and more particularly what your goals are, and then being able to work with you through that process. Buying a cookie cutter type of, of program and, and automatically expecting a certain result that, it, again, a program that may have no flexibility in it whatsoever, that, that could leave you short of your goals. So you want to be buy, you want to be purchasing something or getting yourself into something that fits the specific goal that you're trying to achieve. So if that's a muscle and strength building program, you want to go into one of those, right? Uh, it's not, it's not the program that's going to, 
get you, don't buy the program that's going to get you fit to compete in the CrossFit games because the guy that's selling it or the people that are doing it look like you want to look. Like that is a different type of training program and the periodization there is going to be much, much different. So you want to choose a program that fits the specific goals that you have for that specific time period. Uh, and then that's going to be mapped out in front of you. And then you need, once it's mapped out in front of you, you'll see how these things can be organized. Uh, and, you know, again, you guys have both articulated like, hey, listen, there's going to be weeks of you're kind of doing the same types oh, of yeah. workouts while you're while you may be changing the loads and and you should increase. appreciate those extra weeks because the second that, that you cycle out, yeah, it's on to the new. Yeah, you got to you got to put in the work, right? <laughs> and that cycle sucks. You got to put in the work. So again, expecting the general exerciser to understand how to do all this and the nuance that ex- that it that uh, it takes to be able to do that effectively, that's not realistic. So don't expect that of yourself, mm-hmm. right? The best way to do it is to get get into a program that uh, that can help you periodized, or that's already periodized at some level, but gives you some flexibility to adjust for your personal needs. Um, that's what we do here. Uh, so, you know, if you're looking to build strength and, and build muscle, then maybe you want to be looking at our, our RDF strong program, or maybe at our online membership programs that have this, 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 uh, this periodization already worked out for you. Uh, you can jump in at the beginning as a beginner, or if you're somebody that's already been doing this for a while, you can kind of skip some of the beginning stages of, of what we've programmed for the beginner Mm -hmm. to get you up to speed, to be able to then start in with this periodized strength and muscle building program. Uh, if you're somebody that's more advanced and you're looking for that, hey, I want to be like more of a um, more fit for action, if you will, say like on the mat, on yep. the court, you know, on the range, on the field, whatever it happens to be. And you've been, uh, you have a good base level strength and muscle on your frame and you're just looking to express all that through more power and athleticism. That's our RDF max program. Uh, that's, that's, that's something you might look at those, that, that the program is a little bit more intensity in it from a, uh, from an explosive, uh, uh power production, uh, focus. And maybe you want to be Maybe you want to be looking at that, but those are types of programs. And there's a lot of programs out there. A lot of people mm-hmm. have them. We just designed those for the people that are looking for some periodization. Here's my experience with this. Once people get into that, and I think more people should, and I don't, I'm not, I don't mean just the Red Dot Fitness programs, more people spent more time. If more people spent more time in these periodized programs, man, they would really understand how certain things, exercises, the variables that you may be adjusting, how they really impact you. And you could get a much better result to where you don't always have to be in this um, one year cycle, mm-hmm. right? It's an, you can, you can literally, you know, sort of put yourself through like this undulating program oh, of, yeah. for these couple of months, I'm going to be working my strength for these oh. couple or hypertrophy. These couple of months, I'll be working the strength piece. These couple of months, I'm going to be working the endurance piece. Then maybe I cycle back Mm -hmm. to the hypertrophy piece. And you know, you know at this point, but you have to go through that journey to to, to kind of understand it. So get yourself on a program that makes makes sense from from that perspective. Um, And if you're interested in going through a Red Dot Fitness program, you have questions like, how might this work for me? Well, then just just reach out to us. We'll, 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 We'll help you understand whether it's the right fit for you or not. Also know that every little phase of training gives a different kind of characteristic to the way that you want to look. So that's something to be very aware of. Strength training, you look more dense. Endurance, where you have volume, 20 to 30 reps, where you're quote-unquote bodybuilding. You start to look, I don't want to say soft, because these guys go through a periodized to build the muscle and then cell swell it. But if you're going in there and you're thinking that like, I'm going to do 20 reps 
of everything and this is how I build muscle. This is because I see the bodybuilders doing it. That's not true. I think it just goes back to like, don't choose a program because the guy selling it to you exactly. looks a certain way. Exactly. Uh, what they're, what you're getting um, what you're, what they're doing could be two totally different things. So yeah, buyer beware on that stuff. What are the benefits or potential dangers of exercising with early onset diabetes? I think what we're talking about here is type, type two. two. Yes. So that is versus type one. Mm-hmm. Type one diabetes, for those people that may not be aware, that is one where you are insulin dependent. You are needing exogenous insulin in order to manage your blood sugar and the hormone levels that control uh, those energy systems and that that part of the metabolism. Uh, your pancreas, which releases that uh, that insulin into your system, may not be working optimally, may not be giving you enough of that insulin. And or another part of that could be, so it's underdosing yeah. you. Mm-hmm. And it also could be that you are just insulin resistant. Now, when I say just, that's bad, right? That means your body may be giving you this insulin, but somehow it's not enough in order for your body to manage the uh, the the changes in blood sugar that happen when you're consuming food and yep. what it takes in order to shuttle or partition nutrients, mm-hmm. both or all things, carbohydrates, proteins, and fats into the muscle or into the cells and excuse me, in order to produce the energies that you need need to. And there are there there are really serious health impacts of both being insulin dependent or being insulin resistant. And when we're talking about um, early onset diabetes, we've got people that they have they have a functioning, they may have a functioning uh, pancreas mm-hmm. and insulin system, but for whatever reason, their body is insulin resistant. So there's a couple of things there. We've talked yeah. about this in the past. Mm-hmm. We've talked about like some of the drugs that are out there now that are messing with this system. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're very, very uh, semi-glutide being one of those that are very uh, popular at the moment. So the risks associated with their early onset diabetes. So I'm going to preface this one with, I think there's a, there's a lot more risk associate just in general, if you have type one diabetes. Absolutely, 1,000%. So, and that's, while that's not the top or that's not the converse, the, the, excuse me, specific to the question or the conversation here, I think when people think diabetes and they think the risk factors, that is one that people can relate to or kind of understand a little bit more. Like, uh, yeah, I know somebody that manages their life with drugs, you know, with pharmaceuticals specific to insulin. This is somebody that was maybe born with this condition or started very early in their life somehow. So they've been diagnosed and this is what they do. Usually those people are very, very in tune. Oh. A lot of times they're very in tune with how to manage their insulin. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean they're doing a good job of managing their health. I have some stories about that, but my, my point of this is, is like, I don't hear a lot of stories about people going to the gym that have type one diabetes that are dying or suffering because they're exercising, um, with type one diabetes. Mm -hmm. Are there risk factors that you need to be aware of? Absolutely. 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 There are cardiovascular risk factors. There are neural risk factors. They're aware. And they're, and they're generally working probably pretty closely with their doctors in order to manage that. That's not everybody, but the person that's asking this question who is exercising or whatever, that's generally what's going on. So flipping it over to the early onset, these are folks that for whatever, a multitude of reasons, don't manage blood sugar very well. Yep, cell resistant. So they may be resistant. So what are the what are the the negative downstream effects, or let's just say risk factors associated? That was the question. Sorry, risk factors with the early onset diabetes and and exercise. I'm hard pressed. Yeah, me too. To find a lot of risk factors, there's probably more 
risk at not doing anything than doing something. The only thing I could say is blood flow issues, but at the same time, how are you going to get a better result than getting your blood to flow? There's levels to everything. Absolutely. Right? So where are you in your early onset? Have you been diagnosed or are you borderline, uh, you know, diabetic at this point? Neuropathy, what's going on? What is going on? That's for between you and your physician to, to understand. And obviously you want to follow you know, your physician's direction with regard to how this may or may not impact you. But risk factors for, for an early onset diabetic, look, I think there's probably more on the, and if you do it, if you, if you search around on this and you start to look at some of the studies, I mean, the NIH has some studies out there that you can look at, uh, the Centers for Diabetes um, education. There's a few different uh, organizations out there, and you you search for like what are my risk factors with type uh, excuse me with early onset or type two. You, you don't get immediate results on that. You really have to dig into there. And what I'm telling you with regard to there's probably not a there's not very many. There's more associated with not exercising than there are with exercising is Absolutely. what you're going to find. What those searches generally turn up right away is the risks associated with having type one mm-hmm. and overexerting yourself, yeah. uh, not not managing your blood sugar, uh, circulation problems, uh, beating up your joints, uh, doing high impact exercise. A lot of the type ones are really skinny. The cardiovascular stuff. They just they, don't get a lot in. They, 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 they can't. They can be. I mean, I've, man, I know there's a guy that's fairly close to the family who is a raging alcoholic. And as a result, he, you know, I think there's some serious fatty liver stuff going on there. And there's a lot of visceral fat around this guy. He's not a small person, but he's not a big person either. He's not skinny by any means, but he literally drinks himself into a stupor and he manages it, manages his insulin during that time while he's drinking. It's really sad. It's tough for me to watch uh, and see happening. And um, recently he's He's, he's realized the impacts of a unhealthy lifestyle. I think mm-hmm. in general, there's also a lot of smoking a pack of cigarettes or more a day on a top of that. A lot going yeah. on there, but there's some now cardiovascular risk factors associated. So mm-hmm. I don't think there's a lot to, to, to concern yourself with in terms of what, exercising with your, with your early onset or type two, like I need to manage my blood sugar better. I think there's some things that come up with medications if you're being treated with medication. Metformin being one of the the more popular ones now. I actually alluded to some of those other ones. Semiglutide is being you know prescribed. It does impact that system now, uh, or does impact that system. So we're seeing a lot of that go on on right now in terms of managing the insulin response uh, and 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 blood sugar sensitivity. But one of the best things you can do, what you're trying to do, is become more insulin sensitive. Yep. Right. That that should be the Absolutely. that's the goal. So how do I do that? Diet and exercise and stress management are the keys to doing that outside of medication. Uh, again, like if your doctor's prescribing you medication and that's the route you've chosen to, chosen to take, then do that. Please. But uh, at the same time, like you're by increasing exercise, let's just say increasing your activity. And for some people that might just be walking, right? Mm-hmm. For other people, it may be more intense type of activity and, and lifting weights and, and things like that. But just increasing activity places now a demand for your body to utilize that energy differently. And, and I mean, I see it all the time here. I mean, we've had individuals reverse the situation that they're in or cut back on the medications that they are taking 
completely taking, not taking the medication. So glad you said that. So. Yeah, one of my closest friends uh, was one of the first people that I started training right when I jumped out of the corporate world and, and into starting Red Dot. Very overweight, very out of shape. He's a little older than I am. And uh, it, it, let's just say had all the things. And genetically had history within the, hereditarily had history in the family of uh, cardiovascular disease. He was already being managed on heart medication, cholesterol medication, uh, and um, metformin for his, uh, for his, or his, let's just say pre-diabetic. He wasn't quite there yet. As well as other medications to manage fluid retention, similar to LASIK, but it was yeah. a different one. Diuretic. Yep. And the one heart medication, this is how he, this is how he called me. He called me one day. He's like, dude, I, I have to, I have to change my life. And I go, well, what's up? He goes, he goes, well, I finally saw the doctor and I've been on all these medications and certain things have been happening. Um, basically his heart had been thickening. So he's starting to see these, this thickening of the heart the wall, which ones, becomes yeah. a major problem. And at this point he's just north of 40 years old. So this is not an old person, right? This is several years ago. And he goes, my, uh, my doctor came to me and said, he goes, I'm, we're going to have to escalate the medication that we're telling, we're, we're giving you. And I warned you about this. And they call this medication, the dick killer. And so he was, he lost his mind. He's like, what does that mean? Basically on this medication, be your, impotent. your ability to get an erection. Mm -hmm. Yes. And be impotent is highly likely. Uh, you will not be able to do this uh, regularly. I'm just giving you the warning. That is what drove the guy to pick up and, and pick up the phone and call me. The The end story to that is this guy comes to me. And so we start, start doing our thing. We start managing nutrition. We start exercising on a regular basis, managing his stress a little bit, a little bit differently. We stop smoking as much, uh, quit the drinking, things like that. Six months later, goes back to the doctor, right? And uh, <laughs> he walked, he, this, this dude has lost 50 pounds. He had 50, he had 50 pounds to lose. And a lot of this was water retention, like right out of the gate. He, he lost quite a bit of weight right out of the gate, but he lost 50 pounds. He walks into the doctor's office or he's sitting there. The doctor walks in with the chart and he goes, uh, man, if you weren't sitting here in front of me right now, I wouldn't believe what your labs are telling me or even looking at you. You're a completely different person. He goes, I guess those, I guess that medication really worked. He goes, doc. I quit taking all of that medication the day I walked out of this office. Mm. He goes, well, what did you do? True story. He goes, yeah. started exercising, quit drinking, managed my, my stress, started eating better, all those things. And the guy was blown away. Guy was completely blown away. The doc was blown away? No, doc was blown <laughs> away. He literally just quit. Now, I don't advise that of anybody. That is not the reason for telling that story. And it is a true story. Um, there are times where you need to be on medication. But the, the, the point, the point of it was the, the point of it is, is he, the, 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 the risk factors that he was facing, he was treating with medication, um, were creating more issues over time. And he wasn't taking full responsibility. The type two diabetes thing or the early onset diabetes thing was a problem for him. And that was a part of a bigger problem. And I think that's what we're trying to avoid. Yeah. And I think that's what people want to avoid because once you start going down that path, all kinds of other things can come out of that. Managing your diet or your exercise, lifestyle, stress management, sleep, those things can have huge, hugely beneficial impacts. That's one of many stories. Um, and again, it's, it's a true, true story, believe it or not. If, you, if you're early onset and or you're borderline diabetic right now, 
exercise, getting on an exercise, a managed exercise program, a smart one, could be the smartest thing that you you do. Could save your life. Mm -hmm. What are the best practices for recovering from and preventing common workout-related injuries? Recovering from and preventing. So I think we go, we reverse that. Let's go to preventing and recovering. Uh, I think one of the things that... uh, that's important to note here is, is there is no exercise. There is no program. There is no prophylactic brace tape, it, you, whatever that you can guarantee is going to prevent you from getting injured. Mm-hmm. So uh, anybody that's trying to sell you a program uh, that's strictly based on, if you do this, this will keep you from having this particular injury is lying. So run far and fast. And I, I, I have, I have a serious moral an ethical dilemma with anybody that's trying to sell programs to, pre- to people based on that. Um, preventing in- yeah. injuries. Yeah. However, we know there's a few things that can help reduce the risk of injuries in general mm-hmm. over time. And so we should talk about those. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I'm just thinking as far as with strength training, one of the things that you can do is make sure you're not progressing your loads and your repetitions too fast, too much too soon, right? Because your body has to have an adaptation period. So, you know, if, if you haven't been doing a certain exercise or you're new to the gym, don't all of a sudden just go in and start repping out, you know, eights and fifteens with the heavier, heavy, you know, quote unquote, heavy load, um, and through a, a greater range of motion than your body's ready for. Yeah, I you think, know? what do we boil that down to? I think, what are the, the if we looked at this high level and we had to kind of have this umbrella of what are the things that contribute to injuries? Well, first off, I think a lot of injuries, particularly in the gym and around athletics or whatever, they're, they, a lot of times are because somebody has gone beyond their skill level, mm-hmm. right? And the, the, they don't, they're not prepared for the movement pattern, the fall, sure. the the speed, the intensity, all of these things of what they're trying to get accomplished. And so I think skills are an important part and learning skills are an important part of um, preventing injury. 100%. Like as an example, like, okay, so I'm on a mountain bike, like a mountain bike, like <laughs> uh, there's, there's skills to learning how to, to number one, ride the bike effectively, mm-hmm. right? I'm not talking about just riding the bike and getting up down the mountain. There are, there are skills that you need to understand and learn, and oftentimes it's the hardware, of how to fall down, how to protect yourself when, because if you're riding hard enough and you're doing it frequently enough, statistically, you're going to fall down. So, you know, like in, if, if that's not a good example for you, look at like basketball players, you know, they, they get hurt constantly. Um, they're playing on a very unforgiving surf, surface. Or, right? or volleyball players, Same. right? You're, you are taught how to roll. Well, you should be learning that, right? If you go to jujitsu, martial arts or whatever, you're, you're taught how to fall down, right? So I think a lot of this is like, without getting again, too far off track here, it's, it's making sure you are, you learn the skills, you know, that are associated with whatever activity is that you're, 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 you're embarking on lifting weights and the movement patterns you use while you're lifting weights are skills. And you need to, you know, I think if you master those, you decrease the likelihood of, uh, getting injured during that doesn't guarantee it, but you could decrease the, the likelihood. So I think that's one thing. Other contributing factors are things like fatigue, uh, you know, people being tired, both maybe it's cognitively, 
you know, or, you know, or muscularly, like they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're fatigued. And so things start to break down the, the ability to perform the skill, yeah. you know, breaks down or the ability to uh, avoid the fall altogether or to react to the fall or, or whatever is, is part of it. Uh, so fatigue, I think is one of those things. So if we can avoid that or sense when that is coming on or just be very aware of that and, and do the things from like a recovery perspective, from a nutrition perspective, from a mindfulness perspective, we may be able to prevent uh, some of these injuries from happening. Mm-hmm. In your specific example, it's putting the ego aside and making sure we're not doing things like overreaching, yep. overlifting, going beyond both our skill and ability sure. or capability levels that put us in a position where we could get injured. I mean, you're talking about like, I think specifically you're kind of relating to like soft tissue injuries and, mm-hmm. and joint joint things. Like, I mean, so many times, like I, after I'd hurt myself in the gym, I just stepped away feeling like a total dipshit just going... That didn't need to happen. (laughs) Well, that, but I mean, even if you have the mastery of a certain skill and you've been away for a while and then you come back and all of a sudden, you know, you're going to go at it. Rusty. Absolutely. Hard in the gym. Yeah. You know, there's soft tissue adaptation that has to occur. So, you know, you can have the skill, but it's, again, how too much too soon. Yeah. I think the, just like the good parts of working out is an adaptation to a stress, your inability to adapt based on things or you're forcing your body to try to adapt to something more quickly than it it has the ability or capability to do. Again, and that's very individual, is going to increase your risk for, let's just say, a breakdown somewhere, whether that's in the soft tissue, the mechanical uh, properties of of whatever it is that you're doing, those kind of things. So making sure that you have a solid knowledge of kind of where you are in your process Mm -hmm. and taking account um, is is an important part of this. Again, you can have the highest level of awareness ever. You can be tracking every number, every rep, every set. That's not going to guarantee that you will not get hurt. Never, ever. Yeah. So... I think those are all good prevention things. I mean, obviously we go down the path of, do you have the right fuels on board to perform the tasks and the skills that you're demanding of your body to perform that be it nutrition, Mm -hmm. maybe some supplementation, but choosing that over, you know, again, choosing a a supplement over, you know, being more aware of what it exactly is that you're doing and why you're doing it, I think is, is the, is probably the key or sorry, is, is, that's not a good. That's not a good foundation for. Uh, I'm doing this for injury prevention. I'm taking this supplement. Or oh, I'm, yeah. I'm doing this. Nah, yeah, that's I'm doing this stretch. You it's know, a supplement. Right. And what you're talking about is more of like for me. Three weeks into a strength phase, if I hit a PR on a deadlift, guess what? I'm out of there. I'm not doing it next week. I'm not because I just literally hit easily on that week where I'm like, oh wow, that was super easy. Like. I'm going to go and add 10 more kilograms to that bar. Usually as someone who's like, oh, that felt really good. I'm just going to go heavier. Yeah. Now in my training, the second that I hit a 10, 20 kilogram PR, I'm done. Yeah. You walk away to reap the benefits now, right? To recover beyond whatever that threshold was. So now you come back stronger. Because guess what? Either next week is going to be the same kilograms with a couple extra reps, or it's going to be 10 kilograms. And it's probably going to be the... Lateral. That, that's a really great example of of the overreaching. Like, oh well, I just did this, so I should push my push put or yeah, or push <laughs> myself further. I think that's a huge trap. Mm-hmm. It's a huge trap, and and I, I, that's a, so that's a very good point. And I've fallen into that trap myself. Oh, Again, bar. going back to the, well, that didn't 
getting back on the platform or yeah. under the bar or whatever the case is going, well, that shit didn't need to happen. Like why? I just didn't did better than I've ever, mm-hmm. I've ever, I've ever done. So there's that. Uh, and you know, also the, like not wanting to rush the plan. Like mm-hmm. if you're in a, if you have a solid plan out in front of you, injury prevention often starts and st- uh, starts and stops with following the plan and not mm-hmm. trying to get outside of the thing. Again, like that doesn't guarantee you anything, but I think, you know, when you're sticking to more of a routine and there's more predictability in what you're doing, and that that's in what you know you're about to do, but also the predictability that your neurological system sees and feels with what it's doing. If you've trained it long enough, there's, um, we've had Tony Ryan on the show before and he talks about this um, neurocognitive kind of mm-hmm. ability that we have and particularly with, with regard to the nervous system, neuromuscular system and your body feeling this kind of giving it a persona, but feeling afraid and wanting to protect itself mm-hmm. from certain things. And a lot of that has to do with this is unpredictable. I don't know what this is. I, I don't, I've never felt this before. I'm, I'm sort of scared. Now, obviously you're your fascia and your neural system and all that, it doesn't have a persona. Like it might not have emotion, but it, at the same time, it does have a reactivity uh, uh, component to it where if you, if you get into a position that it doesn't like, you, everybody's felt like mm-hmm. like that. Like what happens if you get into a Kimura on the jujitsu mat? Like if you've never been there before, there's an oh fuck, oh shit response. Like you, you tense up, you, you know, you try to fight your way out of that. There's an, there's an immediate like power, almost power response. So, oh, I gotta, I gotta get out of here versus the person that's been there a hundred times. It's like, oh, Uh I feel that Camaro coming on right now. Like number one, I'm not going to let that happen. All I have to do is move my elbow, you know, and my wrist, just frame up a little bit here and I'll be okay. Right. Protect my, that's learned. That's a learned response. So again, going back to skills, building the predictability of, of routine Mm -hmm. and taking your body through things without pushing yourself too far out of that routine, I think is very helpful for people in terms of preventing injury. Mm -hmm. But the longer you stay in this, the, the more propensity there Mm -hmm. is for this to happen and it will likely happen and you will probably going to suffer some type of an injury. And so the next part of that question is, is like, how do you return to play? How do you, how do you come out of it? Mm-hmm. CC specifically, I mean, you work with athletes very, very specifically every day, hundreds mm-hmm. of them over a long period of time. What are the, what are some of the basics, you know, or the basic information you give somebody on how to manage that situation? Uh, how to manage the situation. I mean, it's, it's becoming aware of how you're feeling, what your body's going through, what's the swelling like, what's your pain level like? Do you have any numbness or tingling and being able to, one, can you replicate it? And two, then if you know what you did to get to the position that you're at and then avoid that for the time being. But, you know, you know recovery is about um, keeping, maintaining range of motion. It's about increasing circulation. It's, you know, not being stagnant. Um, and then, you know, knowing what your limits are and, if you still want to work out, work out around the the issue that you you have, and I mean seek medical treatment and help if you need to. If you're if you get injured and you're working into, or I'm trying to get back to where I needed to be, I need to be aware of where the injury happened and what's the mechanism that caused the injury. Mm-hmm. Is anybody going to be able? Is everybody going to be able to do this? Absolutely not. But you, when you start to get aware of, okay, it was kind of like the back of my shoulder. 
pull an anatomy book up. What's in the back of your shoulder? Where does it feel like? You can start looking at things and dissecting what is going on and where did this happen? And what are some things that will strengthen this muscle that might have caused a disadvantage in my lift? Um, I know a lot of the time, a lot of people don't have a spinal extension to deadlift. Um, that's a prerequisite to deadlift, right? If you're pulling the bar off the ground and you're flexing, and I'm not saying that there should be no amount of flexion in the spine in a deadlift because there's going to be, but when you're hung over looking like the bar is literally rocking your spine, there is no need for you to be there. So if I have an injury in any place and I'm letting the weight dictate the way that I move, that's not a good movement pattern for that area. Bottom line. Yeah. So we're talking about awareness again, and we're coming back to um, understanding how you got there. I think for a lot of people, they don't, they're not, they're, they're ignoring the signals that their body is sending them from the get go. You know, like again, the pain response is one mm-hmm. of those, uh, like you're shutting down the signal that your body is sending you that is telling you, Hey, this doesn't There's feel, something wrong. this doesn't feel mm-hmm. right. Or again, you got that PR, but it hurt really bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I got the PR. Your body's telling you like, yeah, but there's this underlying thing that's going on here in order for you to hit that, which may mean a compensation. It may mean an already existing injury. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, it's that unpredictability and your body's telling you like through a neural response, go, mm, that's probably not a good idea. These are things I think people need to listen to, particularly on their return to play. So, it, you know, as you're getting back in, you mentioned like, what are you feeling? How are you feeling? So, and, and feeling physically, not feeling mentally mm-hmm. is that part. There's also the, the feeling mentally. I think the return to play is a lot of times 80% mental. It's an arbitrary you, you know, number I'm throwing out there, but there's 80% of, of, of this, of my, my brain here or of this process, excuse me, that's going on in my brain where I, I should be having this conversation with myself. Like, how do I really feel today yep. at this time? How is this really making me feel like, uh, it makes me feel like shit because I can't lift the same amount of, of weight off the floor anymore. That's not what I'm talking about. That signal and that conversation That's needs, emotional. That needs to be shut down. We need to go back to like what's really happening from a physical, you know, response perspective. What does that movement pattern look like? Those kinds of things. So you mentioned like, well, if it's a shoulder issue, like what 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 could this be? What what might be causing this? Mm-hmm. We're asking a lot of people to 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 try and self-diagnose that stuff, which is what this comes mm-hmm. back to what you were saying. Like seek some seek some attention uh, from from a from a professional, uh, and you know that could just be start out with a you know sort of a general conversation. But I think self-diagnosing can be a real challenge for people if you don't have some background knowledge or uh, some like at least some level of depth. And even when you do, and I've been guilty of this before, diagnosing you'll be myself, having a stroke in ten minutes. And I'd be wrong, you know. I'd be I'd be wrong, you know, a couple of times. But seek seek some help from somebody so that when you do come back, you can take a slow as slow as necessary. Let's just say when we look at the pace, let's just say it, the pace matches what is necessary in order for you to do this in the most effective way. And that might be slower than you want it to be, or it could be even a little, no, you could be pushing a little faster or a little harder than you, than you currently are. These are things that need to be managed. There is no way to answer this one specifically because it's all very individual. It obviously is dependent on that injury, what the mechanism of that injury is, what the treatment plan has been, all of those kind of things are all factors. But I think this, this revolves more around getting your head around like, well, what is really going on? 
uh, internally, externally? How do I apply these things? Uh, you know, uh, sorry, a mindset that helps me get through the plan and the return to play. And if you don't know how to put the, the, the return to play plan together and you're just winging it, well, then I wouldn't don't have an, an ex, set of realistic expectation yeah. that mm-hmm. this may be a, the very wrong plan for you. Yeah. yeah, it could could backfire and you might wind up in a worse position than than you started. Seek assistance from somebody who knows. Should I adapt my fitness routine for different seasons and weather conditions? I like that one. Uh, yeah, I like I love this question. The, my first my first uh I guess gut response would be mm. Yes, go experience the weather. <laughs> go experience yeah. the weather in a lot of different ways. Does that mean you have to completely flip your, or you should completely flip your workout routine up, upside down? No, but I would take advantage of what nature is providing you for a few different reasons. But I'm mm-hmm. curious on your takes. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about periodization earlier as far as, you know, having a goal. And if you have a certain goal and it's season dependent, you know, we talked about this, I think last year, ski season or snowboard season or water skiing or, you know, let's say that it's spring season and you're wanting to do a spring triathlon or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead and and, um, adapt your fitness routine to to meet that goal. I love the question because it just sounds like they're like, hey, by the way, when it's cold outside, can I go fuck off? (laughs) Which I like. But like, if you're in a really cold climate, for some reason, you want to wear a sweatshirt, sweatpants, and go and work out. This is not going to change my rep scheme and my progression. That's because one, if we're looking at, you know, if you're in uh, Ohio, right, and it's cold, you're going to wear a fucking sweatshirt. And by the time that you progress into spring and summertime where you want to cut, if I haven't done the work here, I don't have any work here, right? So what, what am I going to do endurance on the front end and then come into my strength on the back end of this? Do you know what I'm saying? So I'm not going to let my outside change what I'm going to train inside of a gym. Yes, maybe running things that are done outside sports specific, but anything that is aesthetic or strength driven that's inside shouldn't really take a backseat, in my opinion. Yeah, I think the seasonal thing comes up for me personally every year for a couple of different reasons. Um, there's, there's, some things to consider here when you're when you're answering this question for yourself. One is there, are there what's your goal, mm-hmm. right? Because if your goal is to be you know a competitive snowboarder in the winter time, then you're, you're, the period how you have your 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 program periodized is going to uh, happen sort of seasonally, whether you like it or not, right? So that that could be part of it. But I think for me, like it, it works more like this. Like there are certain things I like to do outside, like being outside with as part of my fitness program is really important to me. Uh, I, I loathe doing everything inside. Uh, I do what I need to do inside as it relates to, you know, maybe the weightlifting part of, or the lifting weights part, strength training part. But like, as it relates to like cardio or, or just getting outside and playing or what I'd say is get outside and training. Uh, the seasons do impact that for me in a couple different ways. One, like, like cycling, which is something that I like to do. I fucking hate doing that in the, in the heat. Like, and it's not because I can't do it or I'm heat intolerant. I just don't like doing it, which means I got to get up early in the morning during the summer times to get out on the road. And that doesn't always uh, jive with the work schedule or whatever, the travel schedule or whatever it is. So I think that that somewhat impacts like what I'm doing at certain times of the year. And so I think about the, my programming and like, when am I going to do more cycling? The fall here in California is like the best fucking time to cycle. And you can do it right on through the winter because we, it doesn't get really that cold, at least at 
sea level, which mm-hmm. is where, where we are, you know, even getting up to the 3000 foot elevation, which is kind of where it maxes out around here. Uh, it gets a little crispy up there, but it's not like, um, um, you know, we're not like in the teens. Mm-hmm. doesn't get that, that cold. I mean, it might get down into the thirties and the twenties yeah, at night bad. and it kind of heats back up during the day. My point of that is, is like, I really like that type of weather. Um, so like I usually, I'll usually, usually find me on my bike a little bit more during the fall and winter seasons here. They're kind of the same season <laughs> in California, but, but, uh, you'll, you'll find me more there versus like in the summer, I like to be outside in the sun by the water, you know, or whatever else, uh, be on the surfboard, you know, like be at the beach, you know, doing things outside where I am in the sun and I can get a workout, but also enjoy myself. Um, so I guess my, 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 my whole point of this is, is like seasonally things change as they are or as they do. You can, there's different things you can do during the season and you might be able to prep yourself for those things, but I don't think it should impact, you know, like the overall plan. What is the overall plan? Uh, the plan is the plan. You can use the you can leverage the seasons it within your plan to make them make it work for you. I understand people live in parts of the United States where like riding a bike in November and December is <laughs> just not a fucking thing. Like I also on ice and snow. <laughs> I also will not get on a stationary bike. Like I'll do it for like exercise testing. That is it. I'm not getting on and doing my rides inside. I just won't do it. And I understand like other people like, well, dude, I ain't riding my bike in December. And you know, you just said like Ohio, right. Or like Michigan. I wouldn't either. I, w- I wouldn't ride my bike then either. So, you know, what is it that I, that I do do? Maybe I do take my cardio uh, routine inside during that one, during those few months of the year, but all the rest of the months during the year I'm outside. So the, the the thing about the seasons too is every year there are so many things I've never done, like I've never tried uh, or I haven't done in a really long time. Like so, the surfing thing, like I hadn't done that in years, decades, decade. It was over a decade, right? More than a decade. It was a decade and a half, right? So it's like, you know what? It's 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 the summertime. Like it's this is the season for doing this. I live in California for Christ's sakes. I got to get out there and get back on the surfboard. And so I explore during new things to stay active. Right. Mm-hmm. It's never about one thing for me. And I think maybe the seasons can help you do that. Like, what's the new thing I'm going to try this year? Is it cross country skiing? Is it snowshoeing in the winter? Is it, you know, I don't know, ice climbing or some fucking crazy shit like that? You know, maybe you're doing that. You can leverage it that way. Um, you know, my friends in Arizona. I don't know what the hell you do outside of go inside during the summertime yeah. <laughs> uh, because it's so, it's so hot there. Um, but I, so I think you can leverage that stuff and, sure. and try new, try new locations things. are going to be different. Yeah. I think there's some, something to be said too, with like exposing yourself to uh, the different conditions, right. In terms of your body stress response, like people get into cold plunges for Christ's sakes, they'll spend thousands of dollars on, on cold plunges when you could just go outside. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and do things to expose yourself during the cold during the winter. So I think that that's a, a way to, you know, Maybe you lift weights, like you said, like you've got a garage gym, you're in a very cold part of the, you know, cold climate and part of the, um, in, in part of the United States, get out there, work out there in the cold. It is a different feeling. Yeah. Like you will impact that, that, uh, parasympathetic system as well as the sympathetic system much differently in, in those cases. So there's, there's ways I think you can do it, but to your point, Jeff, like, I don't think you completely change the game because, it's summer or winter, it's spring. No, I don't think you have to completely change the game. But I mean, if you have a goal and that goal is season dependent, then there's nothing wrong with changing your workout program to um, reach that goal. And the other thing is too, let's say it's, you know, ski season and let's say you're in a hypertrophy phase. 
I mean, I don't want to go through a hypertrophy phase during ski season and then potentially be sore out on the slopes. Mm-hmm. You know, I might be more on a power phase by that point. So quick and dirty. Yes, the rest periods are a little bit longer, but, you know, maybe my range of motion is a little bit more limited. So then, you know, come the weekend, my body's not feeling it. Trashed. Yeah. yeah trashed. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Iron Sights. If you enjoyed our conversation, you can support our mission by hitting the subscribe button, leaving a review, and sharing the podcast with a friend. I'll see you on the next episode.